Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for, for music, music teachers. This is the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast, and I'm Nicola Canton. This week, we're talking about preparing students for piano exams. lovely teachers welcome back to the podcast so good to have you here today we're talking about piano exams i'd like to encourage you to listen in even if you don't do any piano exams so to set the stage i'll just explain to both sides of the atlantic how piano exams work because well i shouldn't say both sides of the atlantic because they're also common in canada but piano exams are very common in ireland in the uk in australia new zealand and canada and not so much in most other countries, and especially uncommon in the US, although in parts of the US there is sort of a a local state exam that is used more frequently. So a piano exam, if you're not familiar, is a structured way of assessing students' progress in their practical performance at the instrument. So it is different to, say, a festival or a competition in that there are requirements outside of just the pieces, although I think some festivals include scales. But in a normal piano exam, you'll have pieces to prepare, sight reading, oral tests, theory questions and scales to prepare as well. So now that we've got that out of the way, why would you listen if you don't put students forward for a piano exam? Well, I think that exams should not be an all or nothing approach. And there are exam boards available in pretty much every part of the world. People kind of have come to know me as being against piano exams in a way, but I'm not. I'm not against their use at all. I actually think the middle ground is where we should all be sitting and where almost no one is right? So most people are either, most teachers are either all in, meaning almost every student does exams, or at least most, or basically none of your students do exams. And I think the middle ground is maybe where we should all lie. So that's my argument to you for staying here and listening to this preparation process, because I think it might be interesting even if you don't currently prepare students for exams. But this episode is not about the pros and cons of piano exams. That is coming up. Today, what we're talking about is how we actually prepare students or how I prepare students. I'm going to give you an insight into how it works in my studio. So first of all, I need to suggest the piano exam to the student and their parent because it is not a default option in my studio. If a student reaches a certain level or did a grade last year, it doesn't mean they're necessarily doing the next grade this year. So I only suggest a piano exam every so often when I think it would be beneficial. 
So when it would be beneficial is when I think it's going to spur the student to move forward to make better progress than they would have otherwise and that they're maybe going to be motivated by the process, they're going to enjoy it and they're going to enjoy preparing for it. I believe that when they're done every year for most students, that's not the case. Now for the occasional student, it just does suit them to do an exam every year and that's fine. We don't want to be too rigid in any direction, right? But for me, it usually starts with me suggesting the exam. And I will suggest it when I think it would be helpful for a student, spur them into more action. I will not suggest it when a student is not currently practicing because that won't get us anywhere. I will also not suggest it when I don't think that they could prepare for this exam within a three month period. That part often shocks teachers. Now we'll say I might go up to like a four month preparation for what we call the senior grade. So like grade seven, eight, or certainly for diploma level, it would be a longer preparation. But for like grade seven or eight, I might be talking about four months, but I don't want it to be an entire year. In my opinion, if they need an entire year to prepare the pieces on a particular exam syllabus, it means they are not ready to take that exam. They would do better to learn other material for that whole year and improve their level and then learn those pieces more quickly when they're ready to learn them more quickly. Does that make sense? Just slogging through something that is really beyond a student's level, I don't think gets us anywhere. So I won't suggest it unless they have played repertoire that is just below that current level, the level of the exam. So if it's a grade five, I want them to have played pieces that are approximately a grade four or four and a half, right? So I don't want them to be it to be too easy. It should be a bit of a challenge, but it shouldn't be something they have never approached the like of before. I also don't want them to go in for it if they have none of the scales on the syllabus. The syllabus is not a curriculum. My students are learning scales anyway, and it's not based on what's on the syllabus for the exam. It's based on the full circle of fifths in whatever permutation we're talking about. So the full major circle of fifths, minor circle of fifths and then two octaves for the same and the same kind of idea for arpeggios. They're learning it on a schedule which makes sense to me. The exam is going to test them on a random selection of those. So if I have a student who hasn't done it in the particular number of octaves of that exam, that's okay with me. But if we're talking about a student doing a grade four exam and they don't know any of the scales on that list, then I would be not suggesting that exam until we get some basics of scales covered. So after I've suggested it, and if the student wants to do it, I would never be pushing it on them, and their parent is happy for them to go for it as well, that's when we start the exam preparation process. Before we get to that three month window, we're making sure they have all of their scales. Not the scales on the syllabus, all the scales, all of the circle of fifths, major and minor, or if we're just talking about a, a very early grade, then maybe it's all the majors just because they'd only have like one minor scale anyway. When we get to that three months out mark, that's when I would, or just before that, I would send them the link to listen to all the pieces at that grade. For our local exam board, which is the Royal Irish Academy that I use mostly, they actually publish their own videos on YouTube of one of their senior examiners performing all their pieces, which is really handy. So I'd just be sending them the YouTube playlist if your exam board doesn't do that, then you can put together your own playlist. They're always all very common pieces that you can find online. They listen to those and they choose the pieces. 
it's always important to me that I give them the full choice. So if they're doing a senior grade where we have extended list on our exam syllabus, we have a list A that's like 10 pieces or so and a list B the same and a list C the same. I give them the full list. I want them to choose within the available options their favourites. I want them to be really excited about learning these pieces because otherwise the whole process does not work. So then they choose the pieces, I get those ready and we start to work on them. Now, while I don't tightly control which pieces they pick, in fact, I don't control it at all, and I encourage them not to think about what, which ones feel harder or easier, what I do control is the way they practice them. Or not control, but <laughs> I do guide more thoroughly is the way that they practice those pieces. So where when they're doing a regular piece that's a little bit quicker to learn and not for something like an exam, then I might be less structured in my approach to practice. I still do teach practice skills the whole time, but with an exam piece, I'm quite specific. So I make them go through at the start and split it up into sections. So we just write the letters on the start of each section. So splitting it up by phrase or by a couple of phrases at a time, you know, four to eight bars of the piece and marking in those sections somehow. So I like to just have them write a letter of the alphabet in a circle starting at the end of the alphabet and going backwards. I just do that because I used to use numbers for the sections and that works fine, but it can occasionally be confused for a finger number in the moment when students aren't thinking. So I just like the letters of the alphabet from the end of the alphabet because they can't confuse that with anything else in music. So it's just a Z in a circle and so on. And then we tackle the hardest section first. So I often will have, if there is no hardest section, I'll have them start at the end and we'll do the last section and work our way backwards. If there is a tricky part though in the middle, we'll start there and then we'll add on either side of that and work out towards either side. So we're starting with the middle section and then learning the section before that and then the section after it and we keep going until they have the full piece. So this is what I mean about me maybe controlling their practice a little bit more than I would otherwise and kind of doing a bit more hand-holding of structuring their practice in a way that makes sense because these pieces are going to be a little bit more challenging for their level. Now alongside preparing those pieces and making sure that they're staying on track with learning the sections in terms of getting the notes right and getting the rhythm right at a slower tempo until we've gotten to the full piece, they're also working on the scales. And this I like to do by setting up three groups. So I split the scales up into three groups and I choose a couple of scales from each category for each of the groups. So for example, if they have major scales in four octaves, I would split up the keys that they need to do those in across the three groups. So C and G are in the first group and then D and A are in the second group or whatever way it breaks down. And then I would do the same thing for the arpeggios and for the contrary motions and whatever else is on the list. I used to just go from the top of the scales list on the exam, but what ends up happening when you do that is they just know their major similar motion scales better it gets worse and worse throughout the list, right? So I like to do it in this more balanced way so that they have a little bit from each category at all times and it helps keep them thinking and helps them learn each category more evenly. Now there are other components to the exam. So in our exams, each piece is 20% and the scales are 20% and then you've got this 20% remaining for theory and oral tests and stuff like that and sight reading. So we need to address those as well. 
and it's much better done little by little all the way through the process rather than in a rush in the last two lessons when really their focus is on their pieces anyway. I like to do these at the start of every lesson because I know that we, myself included, me and the student, will both get sidetracked by scales they don't know or even more likely by the pieces and everything we want to do with those to make them wonderful and we just won't get to the oral stuff. So we put it at the start. We start every lesson with a Salfa Railroad, which is a resource from Vibrant Music Teaching. It's basically a sight singing exercise that comes with a backing track. And I would start at whatever level is a little bit challenging for them and work on that. So that's going to help them with their listening skills in general and with the sight singing component of the exam. Many exam boards do not have a sight singing component for non-vocal exams, but we do. So I don't want them to be terrified of that part of the exam. Doing the alpha sight singing is going to help them with the sight singing component and the singing back. They have to sing from memory as well. It helps with that too. And then we also will be working on Rhythm Railroad or a similar rhythm resource to work on their sight clapping. As well as that, they need to work on their sight reading. So for this, we do have Reading Railroad. If that's at the right level for them, I would use that. For many of these exams, the sight reading exercises are quite specific not necessarily overlapping with what I do in Reading Railroad, since that's focused on developing reading skills in general. So rather than doing that, I would often do the standard sight reading book that comes from the exam board or the one by Paul Harris I quite like, which is called Improve Your Sight Reading. And just going through one of those exercises every week so that even if they don't follow through in their practice, they have some experience with preparing for the sight reading component. As I said, doing those first in every lesson will go a long way to preparing them. And if you find you don't have time to do all of them, just alternate. Do rhythm and oral one week, sight reading the next, and alternate back and forth. But always do one of those at the start of every lesson so that you don't end up caught out at the end. Now, the theory element is the final bit we haven't talked about. That is normally pretty easy for my students because they will just refer to their pieces they're going to know everything that's on the page because we'll have talked about it in the piece preparation anyway. So they're going to be able to translate those terms and name the different note values and anything like that. The questions they get asked in the exam are pretty basic. So that's the basic exam preparation process. There's one final stage I'll mention, and that is we always schedule a mock exam or a trial run about three to four weeks before. I get that in the diary and start mentioning to students right away so that their goal is to have their pieces at a stage where they can play them and they would pass the exam by that date and their scales the same way so that we can do the mock exam then and then they still have a few weeks to improve the dynamic contrast and all those things we want to do. Your one thing this week is to think about the role of exams in your studio. If you don't currently do them at all, is that just because it's a default? Or if you do them with all students, is that because it's a default? Think about the role they play in your studio, whether it's the right fit for your goals for your students. That's my exam preparation process. I would love to hear yours too. You can find me over on Instagram at Colourful Keys and I'm always happy to chat things, uh, debate any further if there's anything you disagreed with me about today. 
Vibrant Music Teaching membership costs less than the price of one lesson each month. That is totally worth it for all of the courses, games, resources, downloadables, printables that you can get access to as a member, as well as a fabulous community support you'll find inside. Go to vmt.ninja and become part of the revolution. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.